for most people, it's not a problem. <laughs> for most yeah. people, uh, we like them. <laughs> yes. uh, just like people like watching television and people like watching, uh, you know, reading books and like uh, watching football on TV. There's nothing necessarily wrong with these things unless they become a distraction. And so I'm not one of these tech critics that says, oh my God, technology is melting your brain. It's addicting you. I think that's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, really, I think we can use these techni technologies to our benefit as long as we adopt some, uh, some productive habits that help us put these technologies in their place. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. I'm your host, Seem Lund, and our guest today is Nir Iyal. Nir is a best-selling author, speaker, and investor known for books like Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, as well as Indestructible. Nir, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your background and uh, how did you become, you know, be being a writer? Sure. Yeah. So I uh, am what you call a behavioral designer, and I help companies build products through different technologies to help people form healthy habits in their lives. So I've worked with companies like the New York Times and uh, fitness apps and banking apps and all kinds of different products and services to help people form healthy habits, healthy routines in their lives through the use of technology. And um, let's see, so my, that was my first book. It's about how to build habit-forming products. That was called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And my next book uh, that was just published is called Indistractable, and that's about how to break bad habits. So I took my same insights from, uh, from, from behavioral design and consumer psychology. I taught for many years at the Stanford Graduate School of Business at the design school there as well. And so I take those same insights and I kind of show you the Achilles heel of how to hack back distractions so that you can do what you say you're going to do in life. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite funny. Yeah. It's, uh, and you're so true in the sense that, um, uh, that the social media companies and all other you know, platforms, they're actually trying to get people hooked <laughs> to using their products and uh, basically trying to create this uh, very irresistible uh, behavioral routines that people just want to follow. Yeah, and you know what? For most people, it's not a problem. <laughs> For most yeah. people, uh, we like them. <laughs> yeah. uh, just like people like watching television and people like watching, uh, you know, reading books and like uh, watching football on TV. There's nothing necessarily wrong with these things unless they become a distraction. And so I'm not one of these tech critics that says, oh my God, technology is melting your brain. It's addicting you. I think that's a bunch <laughs> right. of bullshit. Uh, really, I think we can use these technologies to our benefit as long as we adopt some uh, some productive habits that help us put these technologies in their place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Uh, but before we get into that, like, why don't we start with your uh, first book, Hooked? Uh, so, sure. like, how do what's it about, and how do you know these companies create habit-forming products? Yeah, so it's really about what's called a, a hooked model. So in the book, I talk about how we can use behavioral psychology to help people form healthy habits. So I profile. Uh, companies like Fitbod that helps people get hooked to exercising in the gym or products like uh, Kahoot, which is the world's largest educational software that helps kids get hooked to in-classroom learning. Uh, the New York Times gets people hooked to a daily habit of consuming the news. So, you know, for most businesses, they don't have a problem like Facebook and, and uh, uh, WhatsApp and Instagram do where people are sometimes overusing their, pro their products. No, no, no. The, the problem that most companies have out there is that nobody gives a shit about their product, that nobody uses it. And so that's really what I wrote Hooked uh, to solve is, is I wanted to help the kind of companies uh, that are building products and services to help improve people's lives 
by unlocking the secrets of companies like Facebook and uh, Google and YouTube, et cetera, you know, showing people how they can apply the very same psychology so that their products and services are the kind of products and services that people use because they want to, not because they have to. And so the way you do that is through this four-part model called the hooked model. And uh, it has these, these four basic steps of a trigger, an action, a reward, and then finally an investment. And it's through successive cycles through these hooks. This is how customer preferences are shaped and how our habits take hold. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, quite quite uh, a deep science that goes behind these things and uh, people aren't even uh, like aware of those things and uh, that's that's where some of the problems tend to arise as well that some people who aren't able to control the behavior or they're not being aware that they're being hooked then they just develop these uh, dysfunctional relationships with these products and uh, these devices especially and the same applies to like in the food industry as well like these engineers and scientists they're looking to design food that is irresistible and it kind of primes you to overeat. And I think, yeah, you're right in a sense that it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as you don't abuse it or you don't uh, use it for the wrong uh, aims. So Right, right. And for most of us, yeah, the, for most of us, it's um, we want these things, right? Do we yeah. want companies to not make their food delicious? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not going to happen, right? We we want them to make delicious food, uh, even if it's bad for us. Do we want to live in a world without junk food? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think the world would be better if we didn't have junk food in it. That's not right. really an option, is it? Uh, just like you know, I hate cigarettes. I think cigarettes are horrible. But do I want cigarettes to be illegal? Not really. Uh, do I want alcohol to be illegal? Should we go back to prohibition? No. <laughs> so the, the, the fact of the matter is we can't go backwards. These things are here. Uh, and so instead of waiting for the government to do something or for these companies to make their products less engaging, which they won't do, uh, I think there's a lot we can do ourselves right now. Why would we wait? It's just so easy to complain, right? So many people are are blamers, right? They, yeah, yeah. Everything is happening because someone else. You see, I'm fat because food is delicious. Look, I used to be fat. I used to be obese. And I can tell you, I didn't eat because the food was delicious. I didn't even eat because I was hungry. I mm -hmm. ate because I was eating my feelings. Right. And this is why we get distracted. This is the root cause of the problem. We get distracted. We watch too much TV. We spend too much time in the office. We spend too much time on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. It's never just the product's fault, right? Mm -hmm. We do these things to escape our feelings. You know, I would overeat not because I was hungry, but because I would be fear being hungry mm -hmm. or because I was bored or lonely or felt crappy about myself. And the same reason about why we use various products and services. We use these distractions because of something we don't want to feel. If you're lonely, you check Facebook. If you're uncertain, you Google. If you're bored, you check Reddit or the news or football or whatever. Let's face it. We use these things because we don't want to deal with our feelings. Mm. And if we don't face that fact, something will always distract us. We can always find something to blame. You think distraction is new? <laughs> Plato talked about it 2,500 years ago. He talked about how distracting the world was back then, 2,500 years ago. <laughs> and every generation has their boogeyman, right? It's, yeah. uh, it used to be comic books and Dungeons and Dragons and Mario Brothers and rap music and rock and roll music and television and radio. All of these things were going to melt our brains. We're all designed to be the kind of products that manipulate us and addict us. And literally, I mean, this is yeah. exactly what was said about every single one of these products. And to be honest, they are all designed to hook you. You think television isn't designed to hook you? You think 
watching these stupid football games that people are addicted to. By the way, I like watching football, but it's kind of stupid, right? I mean, let's, let's be really honest here. We're watching a ball bounce around. Yeah, it's a ball bouncing around a net, right? But here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's wonderful. But you can't criticize Facebook or Instagram or any of these things without also criticizing every other pastime. I would argue that anything that you want to do with your time, whether it's play a video game, watch football, read the news, whatever, read a book, watch a movie, I don't care what it is. As long as it's done on your schedule and according to your values, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm. And so we need to stop criticizing you know, the, the latest technological scare and enter into this moral panic and instead focus on the real cause of distraction because it goes much, much deeper. Right, right. Yeah, yes. I, I totally agree with you that it's not necessarily the thing that is the problem or the, or the activity. It's much rather the kind of afflictive relationship with it. So you can have like an afflictive relationship with anything or you can be addicted to anything. Like you, you can be addicted to success and you can be addicted to, I don't know, social gratification or eating or whatever it is. Like the problem is never the thing. It's the, you know, the, the subjective uh, connection to it or the relationship right. to it. It's more complex that when we look at real addiction, and, and we're not talking about, ooh, I like it a lot, right? We, we use this word addiction a lot these days, and it's kind of misapplied, that addiction does not mean, oh, I like it, <laughs> right? <laughs> An addiction is a pathology. An addiction is a persistent compulsive dependency on a behavior or substance that harms the user. It's not, you know, oh, I like Netflix, and so I watch it even when I would have rather done my homework, <laughs> right? Right, right? That's right. not an addiction. Uh, if you can put it away... Uh, and function without obsessing about it and ruminating about it, you're probably not addicted to it. Mm -hmm. uh, what we are, maybe, is distracted. Yeah. And so for the vast majority of people, we love to call it an addiction. Why do we love to call it an addiction? Of course, the media loves to call it an addiction because they're in, uh, they're in the same business, ironically, right? The, the newspapers, the television company, the old media is in competition with the new media. They really don't want you to use Facebook because the more time you spend on Facebook, the less time you're spending watching TV and reading the newspaper. Right. And so, of course, they love this story that you're getting addicted. Why? Because addiction, now there's someone doing it to you. There's a pusher, there's a dealer. Hmm. But when we call it what it really is, a distraction, for by the way, big asterisks here, some people really are addicted. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some people really do have the pathology of addiction, just like some people are addicted to all sorts of things that are addictive and don't addict everyone. Right. You know, alcohol is highly addictive. But is everyone who has a glass of wine with dinner an alcoholic? Of course not. Is everyone who has sex a sex addict? Is everyone who plays poker once in a while a problem gambler? That's silly. So why do we have this different categorization for technology as if this technology is somehow different from things we ingest in our body? And let's be honest, we're not freebasing Facebook. We're not injecting Instagram. We're not snorting Snapchat. Come on. <laughs> These are behaviors. We like them a lot. And, and what happens is, you know, this, this rhetoric is driving me crazy because it actually is the part of the problem that I'm not saying we, should, we shouldn't use this technology less. I use it less. I mean, screw Facebook. If you don't like it, if it doesn't benefit you, I want you to either stop using it or modify its use in a way that, that serves you mm -hmm. as opposed to you serving it. But this rhetoric these days that so many people espouse of, oh, it's addicting you and it's hijacking your brain and it's doing this, it's doing that. That is literally part of the problem because right. when you hear that, it leads to what's called learned helplessness, mm. right? When you believe there's nothing you can do about a problem, you don't even try and fix it. Mm. What, what can I do? You see my kids, they act all crazy because the video games are doing it to them. 
Well, okay, well, that, you're not even going to try and, and fix the problem because you've already decided that you know what the problem is and it's not you. <laughs> so what are you going to do about it? And I think that is, is not helpful. Uh, it's, it, it gets a lot of headlines, right? Ironically enough, the media companies love this story and so they publish the hell out of it because they know people will click on it, funny enough, uh, but it's not the truth. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. Like I, uh, I can see that the difference is definitely there. That if you're uh, if you're being just distracted, then it's a matter of you not being able to control your attention and your like uh, where you focus on, and therefore you're just feeling that you're out of control or that you don't lack the control, and you know these things are just you know stealing all of your resources, etc. But uh, the the key point is that you you just have to teach yourself how to monitor and uh, how do you regulate your behavior much better so that you wouldn't be that you wouldn't become like distracted and you wouldn't lose like your attention so that's like the topic of your uh, newest book indestructible right right that's right and, and i'm not saying it's easy <laughs> yeah. right people want some kind of magic formula well hey this is hard i don't want i don't want to do it yeah well you know good morning welcome to uh to the the year 2019 where we have so many good things in the world that we have so much choice we have so much freedom in our lives that that means that some sometimes we need to learn new techniques in order to block us in order to to help us avoid potential distractions you know kierkegaard has this beautiful quote he and he said it 200 years ago so just to give you perspective on how distraction is nothing new kierkegaard said that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom Hmm. anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. I think that's so apropos for our time because we live in such a free age. For most of us who have the privilege of living in, in, in the first world, you know, in developed countries, we have so many good things, right? We have unlimited food choices of delicious food to eat. We have unlimited choices in terms of content. We have unlimited choice in terms of articles we can consume and, and videos we can watch and forums we can participate in. And, and, and you know, it's endless today with the internet, which means that that can lead to this sort of anxiety and dizziness around, oh my God, there's so much to potentially do. What do I do? <laughs> what do I do with yeah. my time? Yeah. And I think that can be dizzying. But you know, the, the natural reaction is to blame the technology for it. And I think that that's counterproductive, as, as I said. I think what's a much healthier technique is to learn how do we put this stuff in its place? You know, how do we get the best out of technology without letting it get the best of us? Hmm. Yeah. So how do we do it? <laughs> yeah. How do we do it? Okay. So let's define first, what is distraction? So in order to understand what is distraction, the best way to start is to understand what is the opposite of distraction. So the opposite of distraction, most people will say is focus. And I don't think that's true. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. So both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, both words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. Mm -hmm. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do in life, things that you are doing with intent. And the opposite of traction is distraction, anything that pulls you away from what you plan to do, anything that you are not doing with intent. So this is really important for two reasons. Number one, anything can be a distraction. So you know, how many times have we sat at our desk and said, okay, I am definitely gonna work on that big project, I'm gonna do the thing that I was procrastinating on, I'm finally gonna get to work and do what I said I'm gonna do, right after I check email. <laughs> Right? right after I do that thing, you know, that's kind of productive. Email is something I got to do anyway. That's kind of a worky thing to do. Mm -hmm. 
But it turns out that uh, anything that you didn't plan to do with your time is by definition a distraction. So even email, even though it's, it seems like it's a work task, I call this pseudo work, mm-hmm. right? It feels like it's productive, but if it's not what you plan to do, it is not traction. It is distraction. And so similarly, just how anything can be a uh, can be distraction, anything can be traction. Mm-hmm. So anything you plan to do ahead of time with your time and is according to your values can be traction. So watching that football game on TV or playing Candy Crush or you know, watching YouTube videos, great. There's nothing wrong with it as long as you do it on your schedule and according to your values. That's now traction. Mm-hmm. So that's the first place to start. We have traction and we have distraction. The next place to start, the next place to, to go is to understand what drives our behavior. The two things that drives our behavior are either external triggers or internal triggers. External triggers are the pings, the dings, the rings, the things that we usually blame for causing distraction, the things in our environment that can move us off track. And so that's you know, very common. People, that's typically what people think about when they think about distraction, their iPhone, this ping, this ring, whatever, those can be distractions. But it turns out the most common source of distraction is not the external triggers, but in fact, the internal triggers, a little bit about what we talked about earlier that all human behavior is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort. Everything we do fundamentally comes down to one thing, and that is the need to escape pain. Now, that, that's a weird idea for a lot of people, because if you think about what most people will say, if you say, what's the nature of human motivation, they'll tell you some version of carrots and sticks. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, this is called Freud's pleasure principle, that all behavior is spurred by a desire to pursue uh, pleasure and avoid pain. But that's not exactly right. That neurologically speaking, that is not what's going on in the brain. That in fact, the brain has two neural circuits. One is called the liking system and one is called the wanting system. And it turns out we don't have to like something in order to want it. That what is really important in terms of of how the brain gets us to act, the job of the liking system is to encode a memory of a pleasurable sensation so that the wanting system creates discomfort for us to go get what we want. Because remember, the brain doesn't do what feels good. The brain does what felt good. And so that is what spurs us to action. So even the desire to feel something pleasurable is itself psychologically destabilizing. So hunger, desire, wanting, craving. uh, There's a reason we say love hurts because neurologically that is exactly what is going on. (laughs) And And so when we face that fact that, look, all human behavior is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort, and, and of course, we see, this neuro, we see this physiologically, right? With our bodies, if we're cold, that doesn't feel good, we put on a jacket. If we're hot, we take the jacket off. If we're hungry, we feel hunger pangs. That doesn't feel comfortable, so we, we, uh, we eat. And if we're full, now we're, we don't feel comfortable because we're too stuffed, we stop eating. So those are physiological sensations. And it turns out the same thing, of course, is true with our psychological sensations. That, of course, you know, when we talked about earlier, if we feel lonely, we check Facebook. If we're uncertain, we Google. If we're bored, we check Reddit or stock prices, sports scores, who knows what, anything to relieve that sensation of boredom. And so what that means, if we face this fact that all human behavior is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort, that means that time management is pain management. Hmm. And so this is a really, really important concept that fundamentally, if we don't understand this fact that everything we do is done by desire to escape discomfort, then we will always be distracted by one thing or another. We have to come to grips with that fact that time management is pain management. It doesn't matter 
what you know latest productivity hacks or life hacks you hear about or what guru is telling you to do this thing or that thing. Fundamentally, it's about the fact that time management is pain management. So the first step to becoming indistractable is learning tactics to manage discomfort mm. so that when you feel like you are about to get distracted, the best thing you can do is to note that sensation to say, okay, I'm feeling bored. I'm feeling anxious, stressed, uncertain, whatever it might be. And now you have two things you can do with that sensation. You can either fix the source of the problem, meaning is there something deeper going on, right? So is it trouble at home? Is it a, a crappy workplace environment? There's a whole section in the book on how to build an indistractable workplace. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can fix the, the deeper problem or where you can't fix the deeper problem. Sometimes, you know, with many things in life, we, 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 feeling bad is normal, right? There's nothing wrong with feeling bad. It's part of being a human being. And so instead of pushing it down, what a lot of people say is, I'm not supposed to feel bad, right? The, the self-help industry tells us that if you're not happy all the time, something's wrong with you. And I think that's not true. That's, that's bullshit. That in fact, we are designed for dissatisfaction. We are constantly dissatisfied. That, that is how we evolve. And so we can accept that dissatisfaction and realize that when we feel it, we don't have to always escape it with a distraction. We can use it to lead us towards traction, something we want to do as opposed to you know, escaping our heads uh, to, to, to avoid that discomfort in an unhealthy way. So there are many, many techniques I talk about in the book about uh, how you can use techniques from acceptance and commitment therapy, how you can reimagine the task, reimagine the trigger and reimagine your temperament, all kinds of things that we can do for this very first step of mastering the internal trigger. But let me take a pause there. There's three more steps, but let me take a pause there in case you have any other questions or directions you want to go. Yeah, that's a that's a really uh, good uh, approach to it in a sense that um, most people yeah are afraid of feeling discomfort and they're afraid of like pain literally and the problem is also that in the modern society we we rarely experience like real struggle <laughs> we don't have like a lot of uh, difficulties in our life and that kind of conditions us to uh, try to take the path of least resistance all the time but at the same time you know all the greatest you know feelings of accomplishment as well as results come from you know outside of the comfort zone where you haven't been before and it's always like a stretch to um to try to push you push the envelope towards that and try to reach those limits and that's that's what maybe like one of the reasons that so many people may experience like procrastination they're just trying to distract their mind to not feel this uh, pain yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And if we don't feel, and this is exactly the same root cause of why we overdo all sorts of things, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It's not just technology. Uh, some people spend too much in time in the office because they want to avoid what's going on at home. Some people spend too much time at home because they want to avoid what's going on in the office. Some people spend too much time watching television or, or, watch, or scrolling Facebook or drinking too much or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, it's about the desire to escape discomfort. And if we don't understand those deeper reasons, you know, today it's technology that we complain about. Tomorrow it's going to be something else. Right, right. So what are the other steps? So the next step is to make time for traction. And so we, we know we talked about traction versus distraction. And so making time for traction acknowledges that if you don't know what traction is, then you don't know what distraction is. Meaning you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Hmm. So this is really, really important because two thirds of people out there don't keep a calendar. Hmm. So here, and I'm not talking about, oh, I have a meeting here and a dentist appointment there. I mean a real calendar where every minute of your day is accounted for. 
So this is called time boxing. And I'll, I'll give you a link in the show notes that shows you exactly how to do this. And this technique has been shown in thousands of studies to be very, very effective to help you do what you say you're going to do. Why? Because it drives me crazy when I talk to people who say, oh my God, I was so distracted today. I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. And I didn't get any of this stuff done. And every big, why? Because all this stuff got me distracted. And I said, well, what did you want to do with your time? Not just your to-do list, but how did you want to spend your time? What did you get distracted from when your phone rang or you started checking your, your, your email or whatever? And they show me their calendar. And for the most part, it's blank. There's nothing on it. So you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Uh, you know, if you think about all the money we spend on keeping our home secure, right? We have security systems and car alarms and we put our money in banks with vaults all to keep our stuff safe. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to our time, yeah, sure. Anybody can just take as much as they want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and of course they do. Because if you don't plan your day these days, somebody else will. Your boss, your kids, your spouse, the news, something is going to take up that time if you don't decide in advance what you want to do with it. Mm. So making time for traction is about understanding your values. And it's, it's very simple. I don't have a very, you know, I don't like these five-year plans and the vision boards. I, I don't know if that stuff works so well for me. What I wanted to do instead was to give people a very practical approach, which is to look at your values in three domains of your life, you, your relationships, and your work, and then put time for those things on your calendar. So don't worry about five years from now. Let's talk about next week. What does next week look like living a life where you fulfill your values, where you do what it is you say you're going to do? If physical exercise is important to you, taking care of your body, if that's important, do you have time on it for you, on your calendar? If time for personal growth, do you have time for reading or prayer or meditation? Is that on your calendar? If uh, spending time with your friends is important to you, is that on your calendar? For your spouse or kids uh, at work, if work requires more than just reacting to stuff all day, right? If your job is to work in a call center, all you do all day is pick up calls, okay? I get that. Then you're reacting all day. But for many of us, our job requires, at least in some degree, some time for reflection, right? Some time to think. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. Having the time to think is a massive competitive advantage. <laughs> just making time in your day, you would not believe how many people don't do this. They don't make time yeah. in their day to just freaking think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they wonder why their life is so frazzled because you haven't made time to sort out your own head, right? So you go see a shrink or you go talk, you know, you, you help, you get somebody else to help you think, but the, and not, not that I'm against those things. Those, the, that, that can be wonderful. I'm all for therapy, but why not first make time to try and think through your problems yourself, right? That's free. <laughs> you yeah. just need to carve out the time to do it for yourself, whether it's uh, about things that are going on in your life, whether things are going on at home, whether things that are going on at work, you need time to think, but you won't get that time to think if you don't plan that time ahead. And so, and then the last technique that I talk about, that's very, very important and really, you know, revolutionized my uh, work and home life is this practice of what's called schedule syncing. So schedule syncing is when you sit down with the stakeholders in your life, whether it's your domestic partner, whether it's uh, uh, your, your boss, and you show them your calendar. And you tell them, here's how I'm going to spend my week. You know, here's what my week ahead looks like. Here are my priorities. Here's the time I'm spending to do home duties or uh, work duties, whatever it might be. Is there anything that I'm missing on this schedule? And let me tell you, if, if you work for someone, your boss is going to love this. And you are going to love this as well because 
you know, so many managers, they just lob over tasks. They say, do this, do this, do this, but they have no sense of how you're spending your time. And they don't want to ask you how you're spending your time because they're afraid they're going to look like they're micromanaging you. Mm -hmm. So do them and yourself a favor, sit down with them for 15 minutes. That's all I'm asking 15 minutes a week and show them your calendar and ask them if there is something that's not on this calendar, help me reprioritize. What do I take out in order to make time for the thing you need me to do? Mm -hmm. That is going to change your work life completely. It's an, an incredibly effective technique. So that's the second step about making time for traction. Yeah, like it's so true that uh, most people don't really pay attention to how they spend their time and they're kind of letting, letting the other outside world control their time. But, you know, the time, you, the time you have is the, like the most precious resource there is and you can't really get back the time that you lost or the time that you waste away. So uh, it's, it's, it's quite uh, funny that this is one of those skills that aren't actually taught a lot in schools or something. And uh, people are just left to their uh, own devices, figuratively speaking. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. And I think that's part of becoming the, the, the skill of the century is becoming indistractable. Mm. Uh, because, you know, if you think the world is distracting now, uh, just wait a few years. <laughs> it's only going to become more distracting, not less distracting. Yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, particularly when it comes to our children, when it comes to getting ahead at work for ourselves, we need to, to, to gain this skill of becoming indistractable uh, because it's, it's, you know, if we want to do our best work, there's no way to do our best work without doing one thing at a time. We are really, really bad at uh, trying to do hard tasks, uh, more than one hard task at a time. And when we keep switching between tasks, we know that in order to get back to the task at hand, it can take us up to 20 minutes to just regain our focus. And so we're spending our entire day just refactoring, just getting back to the thing that we got distracted from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but how do, how do you reconcile the idea of doing too many stuff, like just time managing yourself to the point of having too much stuff to do? Uh, and, uh, you know, how do you maybe, you know, differentiate between being busy and actually being productive? Well, this is what's so important about the time boxing process is that, you know, when people are busy, this whole busyness epidemic, mm -hmm. it's when they get this feeling of running around and never accomplishing enough, right? So this is the feeling that I used to have. I used to have this to-do list of a hundred things. And I would look at that to-do list and I'd have a great day. I was super productive, super busy. <laughs> and yet I only did five things of that list. And so, and instead of feeling proud of myself, I'd say, oh shit, I've got 95 more things to do. Mm-hmm. And that feels horrible day after day after day after day. And so instead, when you can time box, when you say, look, here is when I'm going to do these tasks. So the idea here is to connect the output with the input. Keeping a to-do list is not good enough because that's just the output, right? If you went to a baker and said, hey, I need 100 loaves of bread, he'd say, no problem. That's the output. Give me the input. Where's the flour? Where's the yeast? Where's the salt? Where's the sugar? All the things I need to make bread I need those things in order to make the bread. Mm -hmm. But with knowledge workers, we just make a to-do list and then we stop. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you don't know the input, there's no way you're going to be able to accomplish that output. So instead what you do when you time box, you are bound by the constraint of the same 24 hour day that everyone has. Mm -hmm. And very few people have felt the amazing feeling of finishing a day and knowing that the day is done, that there is nothing more to do. Why? Because you did exactly what was on your schedule. 
That is such a good feeling that you never get unless you have a time box schedule. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, uh, I, I also use, uh, something along the lines of that, that I have specific, uh, time blocks for uh, doing certain things every day. And that kind of ensures that I'm progressing, uh, towards all my goals, including like health, health goals, including, uh, business goals, including personal development goals that I'm doing it in a like uniform manner that uh, all the, all the lines are being progressed gradually, so to say, so that I won't never go into like, like neglecting some aspects of my health or some aspects of my other relationships and such because they're all kind of scheduled into my daily routine and that's yeah. kind of gives you actually more freedom in, in a lot of sense. it does you know it's it's, a, it's interesting you use that that word freedom because when i hear objections to this people say oh well, what if it's not perfect and what if i mess up and well, i don't know it seems like a lot of work and i don't want to be too rigid but they don't realize that a little bit of work up front gives you so much freedom later on yeah. Uh, that, you know, it takes you maybe 30 minutes. I'll give you a link in the show notes that you can, you can put with, you know, that you can add to the show notes of exact, I built a tool that makes this very easy to do because I think most calendar tools like, you know, Google calendar and outlook calendar, it's a little bit overbuilt. People want something mm -hmm. much more simple. So I built something totally free that anyone can use and taking just 30 minutes to do this for the next week, right? Just for the next week. And then what you're doing is you're spending only 15 minutes a week reviewing that calendar for the week ahead and then making small adjustments for how it can be made better. Because fundamentally, for every distraction, there's only three reasons for any distraction. Either an external trigger, an internal trigger, or a planning problem. That's it. Mm -hmm. Every distraction only comes from one of those three things. So if you can master those internal triggers, that's the most important step, right? Even time boxing is not going to work if you have these internal triggers that are driving you to stop doing the thing you really want to do, right? If you really hate your job. Uh, if you really hate your home life, if you really hate whatever the task you're doing, there's something else going on there that you need to address first and foremost. But after that, um, it's next about this time boxing technique of making sure that you make the time for that traction. And if, the, if it didn't work out, if you didn't adhere to that plan, that's not a problem. That's to be expected. That will absolutely happen. It still happens to me. The idea here is that now for the first time, you know the difference between what is traction, the things that are on your calendar and distraction, anything that is not on your calendar. So that next time you can do something to fix it. You can ask yourself, was it an external trigger? Was it an internal trigger? Or was it a planning problem? Did I not allocate my time correctly? And I can fix that the week ahead. So it's not that you make a calendar one time and then that's it. If you don't follow it, you're in big trouble. No, the idea here is that you adjust it as frequently as your schedule is likely to change. So whether that's once a week for most people, some people even do it every day if they have the kind of schedule that they, they don't know what they're in for until they get to work that day. Uh, but but this is a this can be a very very productive technique. Yeah yeah totally agree. And uh, yeah it's it's not even like uh, useful for productivity and business success, but also like being uh, more indestructible with your relationship and such as well. Because for example, if a person uh, is very distracted in their relationships as well, then it's not going to actually improve their life in that regard. So even though they may want to you know practice this sort of a very uh, let's say flexible way of living where they're just doing whatever feels right and then they kind of do the same thing in their relationships and uh, the things that are more important in their other aspects of life so the the aspect of being more structured benefits you in every way although it may seem that you're being you know strict and uh, disciplined 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's absolutely right. It, and, and interestingly enough, it doesn't require a lot of self-discipline. I, I hate self-control. I hate willpower. It does not work. And the idea that, you know, you, you, in the moment you'll be able to do the right thing is, is almost impossible. <laughs> it's very hard. Instead of relying on willpower or self-control, which are apt to fail, instead what you want are systems, mm-hmm. right? Systems uh, beat any kind of willpower uh, every time. And so when you know exactly, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, what I plan to do in advance, it takes out all that guesswork. It takes out all that willpower. You don't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. Are there any, like, um, let's say, specific uh, behavioral routines or, like, techniques you use to control your uh, technology, technology use? Yeah, so this actually leads to the third step to becoming indistractable. So step one is mastering internal triggers. Step two is making time for traction. Step three is hacking back external triggers. So, you know, we talked about the external triggers, the pings and dings and rings. Mm-hmm. So there are eight different environments that I talk about in the book that we need to hack back. So clearly, you know, as we, as we talked about in the beginning of the interview, lots of different things want to hack your attention. Of course, your technology wants to hack your attention. That's how they stay in business. You know, your computer wants to hack your attention. But you know what? Guess what? Your boss also wants to hack your attention. Mm-hmm. You know, if you work in an open floor plan office, And your boss comes by and says, hey, can I talk to you for a quick sec? Or what if your colleague says, oh, guess what? I got some office gossip for you. They're also hacking your attention. Your kids can hack your attention. Any of these things can hack your attention and lead you towards distraction. Hmm. So what do you do about that? The idea here is to hack back. (laughs) That I reveal all of these techniques that you could use for eight of these different environments, whether that's email, group chat, meetings, uh, your computer, your phone, uh, the open, uh, open office floor plan, all of these different environments, I teach you how to hack back. And so there are all kinds of things that you can do. I'll give you one good example. In the, uh, in the office, you know, many people work in an open floor plan office mm-hmm. and it is a hotbed of distraction. Way more, more distraction is caused by open floor plan offices than from people's cell phones, let me tell you. And so one easy solution is to use what I call a screen sign. So every copy of my book, Indistractable, comes with a screen sign. It's this piece of cardstock that you rip out of the book, you put it on your computer monitor, and it says, I'm indistractable, please come back later. Mm-hmm. How simple is that? Just an explicit message that tells your colleagues, I'm busy right now, I need to focus, I need to think, please come back later, and they can't miss it. It's very, very obvious, right? Yeah. And so some people say, oh, well, I'll use, I'll use headphones. Well, let me tell you, headphones don't really work because they're good at blocking out noise. But when you do that, people think you're watching YouTube <laughs> and they don't respect that. Yeah. And so instead, what you want to do is to have, you can use the, the headphones as well, but you really want to make sure that you use an explicit message, like a screen sign that says, I'm indistractable right now, please come back later. I teach you techniques how to minimize, how to, how to reduce your use of email by up to 90% by using some very simple techniques as well. So there's a lot in the book around how to hack back these external triggers. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, like in the example of other people, then uh, usually other people start to distract you because the, you've conditioned them to do it, so to say. You've taught them to, uh, I don't know, visit you at certain hours or you know, relate to you in some certain ways. And if you recreate this relationship then they're not even going to be mad. <laughs> they're not going to be even mad that you're right. trying to be, you know, uh, take some time for yourself and be productive. They just need to be retaught and they need to kind of understand. So it's a matter of communication. Right, right. And, and, and this regular practice. So that's part of the benefit. That's why the hacking back the external triggers comes third, 
because first you have to make your time box calendar. So part of it is saying, look, when in my day do I need to do focus work? Mm-hmm. And that's the time I need to be left the hell alone, right? And I'm not saying all day, but for certain parts of your day, you don't want to be antisocial, right? It's okay to interact with your colleagues, but for certain times of the day, you want to be indistractable. I think that's, that's important to carve out that time, uh, as is important to carve out time to intentionally be with others. Whether you say, look, every lunch, I want to interact with my colleagues, or I do office hours from this time to this time, and oh, at that time, please come by. Any time at that time, I want you to come by my desk. That, those are great techniques, but again, it starts with, with the, you have to do the second step first of, of, uh, of making this time box calendar in order to go to the next step. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, other, like any apps or productivity tools you use on your smartphone? Well, so, so um, uh, some of the tools that I use, actually, this is a, that's a good lead into the fourth and final step to becoming indistractable, which is about preventing distraction with pacts. And so preventing distraction with PACs is all about making what's called a pre-commitment. A pre-commitment has been studied in the psychology community for decades now. Essentially, what what a pre-commitment is deciding in advance what you are going to do when you are likely to become distracted. And so there are three types of these pre-commitments. One is called an effort pact, a price pact, and an identity pact. And an effort pact is where, ironically, we can use technology to fight technology. So when you ask some of the tools that I use, so I use all kinds of technology to prevent me from getting distracted. Now, that fourth step, that's, a, that's the last thing you do. That is the last line of defense, okay? So very, very important. It's what you do after you have mastered the internal triggers, after you've made time for traction, after you've hacked back the external triggers. The fourth and final step is to prevent distraction with packs. So a couple of good examples. Um, I use an app called Forest that every time I want to do focused work, I open this app, I dial in how much time I want to do focused work for, and uh, a little virtual tree is planted when I hit go. Mm -hmm. Now, if I pick up my phone and do anything with it, the little virtual tree dies. (laughs) (laughs) So it's enough of a reminder to tell me, oh, okay, this is not what I want to do right now. It's a promise I made to myself. Nope, I don't want to check my phone. I want to stick to my writing, to being with my family, whatever it might be for that period of time. Mm -hmm. Another tool I use is called Focusmate. And I love this product so much, I actually invested in the company. Uh, Focusmate.com works like this. So if you're a remote worker, and you, you, you know, this is particularly good for people who have trouble getting started, right? So this was my problem. Getting started, you know, I say, okay, 9 a.m., I want to be at my desk, and I want to start writing. And then I would procrastinate and not get started until 9.30, 9.45. Focusmate, what it does is it pairs you with another person uh, that you log in at that time period. And if you don't log in, you get a bad review. So you better log in. And when you log in, you see them, they see you through your webcam. And then all you have to do is say, okay, ready, go, and you work. <laughs> and you do it for, for a certain period of time. Now, it sounds silly, it sounds simple. You would not believe how effective it is to have another person that holds you accountable. Now, they're not looking at your work. They don't know what you're doing. They're not seeing your screen. They're just seeing you, and you can see them. And it is unbelievable how uh, that pact, that effort pact, can be used to keep us on track as a last resort to preventing distraction. Uh, then we have what's called a price pack, where you have some kind of monetary disincentive to going off track. And then finally, we have what is called an identity pact. An identity pact is when we have some kind of moniker, some kind of identity, some kind of noun that we call ourselves that helps us stay on track. So this comes from the psychology of religion, that we know that people who have a certain you know, identity that they see themselves through are much more likely to do what they say they're going to do. So a devout Muslim 
does not say, ooh, you know, I, I, I think I might have that beer today. No, a devout Muslim does not drink alcohol. A vegetarian does not say, oh, you know, I think I'm going to have some, some uh, bacon. No, a, a vegetarian does not eat meat. That is what they, they just don't do that. And so when you have that identity, that can be a very powerful way to keep you on track. And so that's why the book is called Indistractable. Mm. Uh, it's about creating this new identity that people can call themselves and tell others, hey, look, I'm sorry, I don't answer every email within 30 seconds. I put this screen sign on my monitor when I need to be indistractable. This is what it's going to take. You know, as a society, we are evolving. We are adapting these social antibodies, kind of like the same way we did with smoking, right? Uh, a few decades ago, uh, someone would walk into your home and just expect to light up a cigarette in your living room. Mm-hmm. Well, now that's completely unacceptable. You would never let someone just light a cigarette in your home. That doesn't happen anymore. Why? There's no law that said you can't smoke in someone's living room. It's that we now made that, that culturally weird, right? It's no longer yeah. proper yeah. to do that. And so that's what becoming indistractable is all about. I'm looking for the early adopters who say to the world and to themselves, I am indistractable. This is not something that I do. It's part of who I am. I act a certain way. And I think this is something that, that the rest of the world will adopt soon enough as well. Mm, yeah, that's, that's really powerful, the self-identity part, because like the most precious thing for us as people is our self-identity and how we look at ourselves as. And all of our behavior is trying to fit that idea of who we think we are. And yeah, it's definitely very... It's, it's more of like a permafix for uh, actually becoming a person who isn't distracted and who is indistractable because if you're just doing certain things and resisting it all the time, then it's still you're trying to force it. But the, the transformation happens when you, kinda, when you overcome the resistance and you're do- doing it just because uh, you're that kind of a person who you know, does those things. Yeah, that's right. That behavior change is identity change. Yeah. That in large part, that is a really big, important factor uh, that if you can see yourself differently, uh, that can be a huge help. And, and also tell others about it. <laughs> that, you know, we, we, when we look at religion, why does every religion, every major religion have an element of proselytizing? Do you notice that, right? Every religion mm, yeah. wants its adherents to tell others about the religion. Well, why does that happen? It's not only about spreading the faith. It's not only about getting other people to believe what you believe. It's also, and I would argue even more importantly, about solidifying the beliefs of the person doing the preaching. Mm. Because when you tell others that I'm a certain way, it makes you more likely to act that way. You know, there's a joke that says, how do you know someone's a vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not, I don't mean to make fun of vegans. You, you can substitute anything there, right? Keto or CrossFit or, you know, a Jehovah's Witness, right? Whatever. <laughs> you can substitute all kinds of different monikers. But people do this because they, they don't, may not know this, but it solidifies your identity. So I think we need the early adopters to stand up and say, I am indistractable. I don't do certain things and I do do certain things because that is who I am. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the alternative isn't that appealing either. Like, if you choose to become like a hermit and uh, avoid all technology, then you're just going to be left behind. And uh, That's right. Other, That's not an option. Yeah, the rest of the society is going to still use those things and they're going to learn how to manage the behavior. So taking like the lazy way out and uh, disregarding those things or avoiding these technologies, then, yeah, you're not going to actually, you're just going to be, become like obsolete eventually. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. That, uh, and I don't think we should. I mean, technology is wonderful. We need to stop being so frightened of it that yeah. then this happens with every successive technology. We have these you know, moral panics. Uh, and I think where this is really harmful is with our kids. You know, we don't want kids to think that technology is, you know, uh, mushing, you know, turning their brains into mush. You know, we don't want to spread these falsehoods. We mm. want kids to be tech literate. The jobs of the future require that. Exactly. What we need to teach kids is how to get the best out of these technologies without letting them get the best of us. How we can teach them to become indistractable. And of course, the best thing we can do to teach our kids to become indistractable is to become indistractable ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Do you have kids? I do. I have an 11 year old. Okay. Uh, how do you teach? <laughs> How do we teach them to become indestructible? Same exact way. So the first thing is I need to set a good example. And then we walk through the four steps of the hook model. Mm. So we look at those internal triggers, right? What's driving her to overuse technology or a distraction? Does she have time for in her days? You know, we, we talked about the second step of making time for traction. There's nothing wrong with having a couple hours of screen time in her day. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. As long as it's age appropriate, it's great. But do you have that time scheduled as well as time for other things, time for play with her friends, time for things that she enjoys? If, if that's one thing she does as well, there's nothing wrong with it. But again, it should be on her schedule, not whenever she feels like it or whenever she doesn't know what else to do or whenever she feels an internal trigger like boredom or uncertainty or whatever. Uh, it should be on her schedule. Yeah. And then the next step is to hack back the external triggers. So uh, I don't think that children need anything that can interrupt sleep in their bedrooms. Yeah. Right. So whether that's uh, a laptop or a cell phone or a, a television or even a radio, anything that might ping or ding in the middle of the night is really bad for your kids. Mm -hmm. So not just new technologies, any technology that might interrupt sleep needs to go out of the bedroom. Right. Uh, any, that, that, that does not have a place in, in the bedroom. So hack back those external triggers. And then the fourth step of preventing distraction with packs, you know, One of the things that I think a question I get a lot is how do you know a kid is ready for a particular technology? And the answer is, do they know how to use it? <laughs> do they know how to turn it off? <laughs> right? So it's kind of like swimming pools. Swimming pools kill thousands of children, but does that mean we won't let kids swim in a pool? No, we teach them how to swim. Yeah. And so just like you wouldn't let a kid jump into the pool without knowing how to swim, we also need to make sure that children know how to properly use their technology, which includes knowing how to turn it off. So if a child comes to the dinner table with their cell phone, they're not ready for the cell phone. If they can't use the do not disturb functionality while they do their homework, they should not have that device because they haven't proven they know how to swim. Yeah. And so they can use those practices to, you know, for example, my daughter loves the forest app we talked about earlier. She loves it. Um, and so that, that's the kind of thing that we can do to help our kids become indistractable is follow the exact same four steps. And there's, there's actually a whole section in the book about how to raise indistractable kids. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, what do you think about uh, video games and those sorts of things? Like, um, are they also like, you know, changing the child's mind of, you know, I don't know, you know, becoming more violent or something along the lines of that? No. No? No. <laughs> the, the data doesn't show it. Uh, in fact, we see that there are a lot of good things that come from video games, uh, mainly uh, which is what kids don't do instead of playing video games. If you think about past generations, what did kids do with their spare time? They got into trouble, mm. <laughs> right? They broke things. They stole. Right. They hurt each other. They got into fights, right? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that I, I think we shouldn't have balance. I think kids need much more play in their lives, and I mean real-world play. I think what we see is that kids turn to video games. This is called the needs displacement hypothesis, that they turn to social media, they turn to video games 
because they are not getting enough of what they need in the real world. And so they go look for it online. Yeah. So when they don't have enough time to socialize, you know, kids today are so hyper-scheduled between the test prep and the swimming lessons and the Mandarin and the, you know, all this stuff that they're scheduled. They have no time to just play and be kids. So it's, it's never such a simple question of, is it good? Is it bad? It's, it's nuanced. Yeah. Uh, it's who is playing, how much they are playing, uh, how they are playing and what they w- would be doing instead of playing. Hmm. W- would I prefer someone play a video game rather than, you know, joining a gang? Yeah, <laughs> please play the video game. Yeah. But what, you know, I think for other kids, you know, would I prefer, uh, the third hour of video game playing? No, that's probably too much, right? Maybe that's a time to do something else. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's like with video games, it's also like an easy thing to blame. You know, part of the reason why some people, some children may become more violent or something is because they have some other problems with their family or something like that. So it's again, like like you said, another easy thing to point the finger at and say that this is causing the problem, where in reality it's actually much deeper and much more complex. That's right. That's right. I'm not saying that that these technologies are not addictive. They they definitely addict some people. And I think for some kids, some kids do get addicted. It's a very small percentage. And it is always, always 100% of the time, kids who have other things going on in their life. Okay. It's, it's a comorbidity with obsessive compulsive disorder, with ADHD, some kind of trauma, something that they are looking to escape from in their lives. It's not like a kid's plays, you know, perfectly healthy, well-adjusted kid starts playing a video game and can't stop. That, that doesn't happen. Just like nobody steps on a heroin needle and becomes addicted. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, just like, you know, somebody, the, if you take a, a sip of wine, you don't instantaneously become a, an addict. Uh, you don't become an alcoholic. It's, it's about what are you escaping from? If a substance, if a behavior can provide you an escape from your reality, when reality is not a fun place to be, that is the predilection for addiction. Right. You're so true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's been great talking with you. And there's definitely a lot of people can learn additionally from uh, your book. And uh, before I ask my last question, where can people learn more about you and your work? Absolutely. So uh, my website is nearandfar.com. And that's spelled N-I-R, near like my first name, N-I-R and far.com. And my book is Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And if you go to indistractable.com, uh, you will find there is a free 80-page workbook that we couldn't fit into the manuscript, so you can get that free. It'll guide you through the process. Uh, if you buy the book and, and, and give me your, your uh, order number, you can also get a free uh, video course as well, all at indistractable.com. Awesome. Good. We're going to put all the links in the show notes. And uh, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? You know, I think it's this whole thing, right? That, that it's these four tactics. Uh, when I started writing the book, I wrote the book for me. I mean, I was, I was patient zero here. I needed to become indistractable more than anyone. And so first and foremost, I wrote the book for myself. And so it's really about these four techniques. It's about mastering the internal triggers, making time for traction, hacking back the external triggers, and preventing distraction with pact. I think that, that in combination, you know, we have to have all four. I wish I would have learned this as a teenager. I could have, I could have been, I think, much, much happier and, and, and had a lot less distraction in my life. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something uh, uh, most people should learn as soon as possible. And definitely we need more of these people. We need more indistractable people in the world. Yes, I hope so. So thank you for spreading the message. Yeah, uh, yeah great talking with you. And uh, yeah, looking forward to your uh, next books. <laughs> thank you so much. Do you want to know what 
it is. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind.